today is Palm Sunday, and uh, we just wrapped up a series uh, talking about money. And now as we enter the Lent and Easter season, we are changing gears. In particular, this month, we're looking and talking about children. And the passage that I'd like to teach from today is Matthew chapter 21, verses 15 to 16. Um, I didn't prepare for this. But are there any children in the house? I think a lot of them who are of reading age, a lot of them who are of reading age have kind of gone into the children's ministry. Um, but do we have that passage, Matthew 21, in its entirety, or do we have it verse by verse? Verse by verse? Then what we'll do is today, um, we will make our way through these passages of Scripture verse by verse. I would have liked to read the whole thing, but I think it's actually better for us to go through it verse by verse. And I want to just give some credit before I launch in. Um, I heard um, a friend of mine, I have a new friend here at Kingdom City, um, her, name is, her name is Jessica Rodriguez, and she shared some insight on this passage this past week at a Kingdom City meeting. She has a heart for children, and as I heard her talking about Matthew 21, as she was sharing her own heart for children, I found my own spirit stirred. Um, somebody gave me some advice recently in the form of a prophetic word, and that word was, let God be your commentator. And uh, I surround myself with technical commentaries and lexicons, but that was a God being my commentator moment. That was a moment where the inspiration was not something that could have come um, from, from studying all the technical, the technicalities, but it was something that Spirit spoke very clearly to me and I believe to not just Woven, but to Kingdom City, a message about perfecting the praise of children. And so just giving credit to where this has been inspired from, Jessica, actually she is here visiting with us today. Uh, if you could just wave your hand there in the back, Jessica's sitting right over there, and um, uh, these, these were inspired. I, I do believe that opening up the scriptures is something that is a communal activity. Let me just say, when it comes to praise, uh, Learning to praise and teaching children how to praise is a very powerful thing. It's an important thing. Um, my entire formative youth and children's experience in church has a soundtrack. And the soundtrack were songs like we sang today, So Will I. Some of these songs. For me, uh, this probably dates me. But the soundtrack to my life was, was literally Stephen Curtis Chapman. And if, you, if any of you are familiar, like The Great Adventure, this is what we were turning up in our car when we were driving back from the beach with all of the windows down. And we were 18 years old because we had grown up in the church. And we were singing, you know, The Great Adventure. Um, we were singing, there's no better place on earth and the road that leads to heaven and all, all those Stephen Kershaw, we were singing Ron Cannoli, a lot of these praise songs that we had grown up and that really was the experience, it was the soundtrack of our lives and in the same way, um, I truly believe that praise is integral to the formation of children. Praise is integral to the formation of of children singing songs forms and brings life to the children's ministry. So what I want to do today is talk along two headings. And you'll find this in your notes. The first half we're going to talk about is perfecting the praise of the children. And the second half 
is the power of the praise of children. First half, perfecting children's praise. And secondly, power of children's praise. But before we dive into that first half, if you could just bow your heads with me, I'd like to pray one more time. Because the Spirit is speaking to the church, I'd like to speak back to the Spirit at this time. If we could pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place praying that you would perfect the praise of the children, but perfecting the praise of the parents and the adults as well. That as you are training and educating, as you are teaching us how to sing, and this has been Woven's experience these last few weeks and months, we've been finding our voice again. We've been singing full-hearted the way we may have sang when we were children. Lord, bring that back so that we might convey that spirit release to our children as well. Help us throughout the week to fill our ears with what is good, with the praises, so that Sunday morning it's not new. We've been praising all week. And Holy Spirit, I pray as we sing these songs, as we revive and experience the revival of, of music, that it would also in turn transform the lives of the young ones in our midst, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. So look with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 21 as we make our way through uh, 15, verses 15 and 16, this first half, perfecting the praise of our children. Perfecting the praise of our children. This is the famous story that's oftentimes preached during Palm Sundays where the children are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the temple, and uh, you see... The Pharisees grumbling and saying, make the kids be quiet. And Jesus is like, if the children don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out. Let them scream. Let them shout. Let them sing Hosanna. This is that passage. This is that story. In verse 15, it says, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus had done, they became indignant. And this is interesting it says the chief priests and the scribes, they saw, they visually, visually witnessed this event taking place of the children carrying on in the temple. It doesn't say they heard, but it says they saw. In fact, in the Greek, uh, the word for see, is, it's in the front. It's fronted, such that this could almost be translated, if we had a very literal translation, this could be translated, seeing or having seen all this Having seen all this taking place, they became indignant. It's, it's like, you know, it's like you're in the hallways of the church, and then you see um, the children running, and then there's animals chasing after them, and you're looking, and then the animal has uh, a tail that's tied onto uh, cans or something, and then the cans are running by, and then the cat's coming through, and then here comes the sheep and the donkeys, and you're witnessing this whole thing. And it's ironic because as much as they're shouting, it's not so much that they're hearing this, they're seeing, they're witnessing this spectacle. It's crazy. They're witnessing this crazy spectacle. I remember when I was probably about 11, 12, 12 years old, old enough to start getting into trouble at church. One weekday evening, my dad, he takes me, um, he brings me to church for a, a board meeting, some, some council meeting for something. And I was free to roam about the church. They didn't have child care. 
is early Korean church in America. And so I was exploring the building. We were renting this building from this old, old, I think they were Methodist something. The, the building was haunted. <laughs> so there's so many places to explore. And I remember getting up into like the attic. And um, I found my way through to this place up in the ceiling. And I saw, oh, that's where the fellowship hall, that's where they're having the council meeting. And my dad and all these very serious older Korean gentlemen, you know, in a board meeting and they're talking. And I started poking through the ceiling and making noises. And um, I was goofing off. <laughs> and, and the dust was coming down. And I remember the elders looking around, like, what is that sound? And then I remember, at that moment, the scariest elder, the most red-faced elder of them all, he looked up and he spotted me right there. And he's shouting, Korean, uh, 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 and he looked at me and he saw me. And he witnessed, and he saw this whole spectacle and the dust coming down, and I booked it. I remember running, and they didn't catch me. They didn't know it was me. But they certainly witnessed this whole crazy thing. Even before they heard anything, they were witnessing this crazy spectacle. They, 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 they saw me, as it says. The Pharisees, uh, the priests and the scribes saw all these things. They saw me before they heard anything. In the same way, um, they saw and witnessed this craziness that was the children. In verse 15, the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. The shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, many Palm Sundays have transpired since this fateful event. Um, 2019, to be precise. 2019 years later, uh, from this event, this, this event of, of Hosanna to the Son of David, we've kind of sterilized the event. We commemorate the children running through the temple shouting Hosanna, except the difference is now they're wearing their Sunday best, and they're doing it at just a decibel level, level that's tolerable, and they're waving um, nicely snipped palm branches, the ones without the thorns that we just cut from our backyard recently. And so... Um, it's a little bit different. Actually, the event as it took place here, it says in verse 15, the children were shouting Hosanna. That word shouting in the Greek, uh, it can be translated, and I think accurately so, shrieking, screaming, croaking. One lexicon Right up there in its number one definition says, almost like mentally disturbed persons. I kid you not. And so what we actually have here are not these nicely dressed Sunday best children coming up saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Actually, you have children tearing about the hallways, um, shrieking, croaking like mentally disturbed persons, tearing through the walls, through the halls of the temple, through the church, and carrying on like insane people, like mentally disturbed persons. So, you might think that maybe what we're doing today is this Palm Sunday message where let the children carry on. Let them tear through the building because Jesus loves the children. And let them be wild, and this is their day to be wild. That's the direction that I could have gone, except I'm pretty traumatized by the scene in Toy Story 3 where the children are sticking Buzz Lightyear up their nose and they have Woody and all the other characters, and they're like banging them on the table, and it's a scene of utter chaos. And then you have another classroom where you have children who are 
well-behaved, well-behaved children. Are we saying that this classroom is just fine because Jesus loves the little children with Buzz Lightyear sticking out of their nose and it's totally fine, let them praise or else the, the, the rocks will cry out? Actually, no. I prefer this classroom where things are orderly. I share in the indignation. That word indignant, right? Kind of like the screaming and the carrying on, right? The croaking. I can be pretty patient as a pastor. I can be. But when the children are screaming and tearing about in the hallways like mentally disturbed, like the, Pharise like the priests and the scribes, I too become indignant. In fact, there's a lot of indignant in the air at this time. These latter chapters of Matthew, that word shows up not just for the priests and the scribes, but also the disciples. The disciples get irritable. It, it must be that time of the year, the star test, when there's stress in the house and everybody is becoming a little bit indignant. There's indignation. I'm with that. So no, I am not saying that Kingdom City Kids or children's ministry here at Woven should carry on like that crazy Toy Story 3 scenario where children are shrieking and croaking like mentally disturbed persons, as it says in the Greek lexicon. No, I too have that indignation. I'm with the priests and the scribes. And no, this Palm Sunday, I may have done it in the past, this Palm Sunday, I am not saying... Let the children scream and cry out because it's, it's krazo. That's the Greek word. It's krazo. Crazy. It's crazy. I don't think that's where we get the word crazy from, but it sounds like crazy. It's krazo. They're shrieking. They're tearing about. So the indignation, and they say to Jesus in verse 16, Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear what these children are saying? That's a double question there. Number one, they're saying, do you hear the content of what they're saying? But secondly, they're saying, are you witnessing this spectacle, this craziness? And Jesus' response in verse 16 is, yes, yes, I see it. But have you never read, have you ever read, and this is important, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. Have you ever read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? What does he mean by quoting this? What does he mean? Now, elsewhere throughout the Gospels where Jesus uses this, this passage or when he talks about the children, um, I concede. He says, yes, let them scream, let them shout, let them, let them do their thing because that's what kids will do. And we have to allow children to do it, yes. However... In this passage, I think there's more. I think there's more. And as I looked at that, when I, heard, when I heard Jessica talk about this, I was like, there's more. There's more here. And as I looked carefully at these words, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have perfected praise. You have, pre you have prepared praise. That word prepared, prepared, you have prepared. There's more behind this word prepared. Um, I drive my wife crazy because I don't like to be prepared. I like to wing it. I wing it. I'll, come, I'll just kind of go with the flow and I'll do things and I'll improvise on my feet. At the last moment, it drives her. She goes crazy. She says, can we prepare? So there's a sense of preparedness about this. Just don't let the kids tear about. If you want to have chaos, at least make it organized chaos. 
Let's prepare here a little bit. In fact, that word prepared in the Greek, it, it, it has this sense, and you can see translators in different versions wrestling to translate this in different ways. It has a sense of not just preparing, but training the children, even perfecting. Okay, so if they're going to shout Hosanna instead of croaking, Hosanna, <laughs> like, like, you know, crazy, let's at least do it in unison, and let's train them how to sing. Let's perfect their praises. Let's perfect the children's praises. Um, my, 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 my children have really um, gotten into AGT, America's Got Talent. And uh, we're watching all of these people climb their ways to the next and second and third level. And sometimes you see a child come up. I mean, off, you know it. If they've, made, if they've made the TV program and there's a small child, they say, yes, sir, please, sir. You know, I'd like to sing for you all. And then he sings, like you have this sense of this child who's been prepared, who's been trained. His praises or her praises have been, there's a sense of completion. So there's this preparing, but listen to this. Whose praises are being prepared? What does it say? It says that the praises of infants and nursing children are being prepared. So this is not the praises of Angelina or Austin or Zoe or Vivi. We're talking about, and quite deliberately, infants, Napion, children who don't even speak yet. We're talking Benji, who's sitting there, Elias. We're talking children who have not yet been taught. They've not been taught. And from infancy throughout childhood, God is perfecting praises. He's teaching the untaught how to worship him from the very beginning, even as they are learning to speak. It is very fair to translate this from the Greek, very fair to translate it, that you are preparing imperfect voices. You are perfecting imperfect. You are teaching the untaught how to praise yourself. You hear that? You are teaching the untaught how to praise yourself. This is a picture of children's ministry. It's not a picture of utter chaos, but it is a picture of education, a picture of training. It's a picture of, 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 of a vision. There's, there's the, the, the word is, is telos. There, there's an end goal in mind, a teleological vision. In other words, we're not gonna, just going to throw the kids together in a hodgepodge and just let them shriek somewhere in a, a padded cell back there in the Kingdom City corner where we, you know, where we won't hear them. Right? There's a padded cell back there, and that's where we're going to throw the kids in so we can just worship in peace and quiet. No. 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 God is teaching, preparing, educating children. I mean, this image of the padded cell, I mean, talk about improvisation. That just came to my mind just now. It's humorous to me. It's funny to me. Children's ministry should not be a padded cell in the corner of a building. It should not be a padded cell. The purpose of it is to complete, 
to perfect, to train with this end goal in mind so that they will be true worshipers, able to worship in spirit and in truth. What does Jesus say? And I didn't, you know, this, this just came to mind as well. What does, this is, you know, God being my commentator, right? What does Jesus say? The spirit will come and will cause your sons and your daughters to do what? Stick Buzz Lightyear up their nose? No, the Spirit will come and your sons and daughters will? Come on. Come on. Prophesy. That takes teaching. That takes formation. That takes this end goal in mind. I'm training the children so that they can have their praise perfected. Yes, that's, that's accurate. Their praise is being perfected. You know, even with some of our older children here, starting from today, after the service, um, our staff is going to be sitting down with the parents of kids going to summer camp. And we don't give away $450, you know, for some family, two, two, two children, households. We don't give money away just so that all the kids can go to camp. But we use it for discipleship. In fact, Stoller tells our church, if I'm giving you this money to give to the kids for camp, they have to volunteer. Why? Because church is about training people up from infancy through summer camp, through youth, training them up so that your sons and daughters will prophesy when the Spirit falls on them. Amen. Can you hear that? Can you hear that? I first experienced the Holy Spirit when I was 13 years old. An older brother put his arm around me and he prayed for me and the floodgates opened and I had like this primal, primal cry. 13 years old, I first experienced. And then I experienced the Holy Spirit again when I was 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, deeply convicted of sin, turning my life around. The Spirit will come. You can guarantee that. As long as they stay in the church, the Spirit's going to come in a powerful way but we have to perfect the praises of the children in the process. So, if I might reiterate one last time, I am not advocating, yeah, let the kids bring them out of the padded cell and let them shriek and tear about, you know, kick holes in the wall like previous, you know, let them, let them do whatever they want because it's Palm Sunday. No. Actually, what Jesus is quoting here is about education and training it's about order. It's about order. And this leads to the second, the second heading, the power of the praise, the second half of today, the power of the praise of children. This is where I get goosebumps and where it gets exciting. Because the, why, why perfect the praise of children? Why does it not say, well, let them do whatever they want? I'm teaching adults. This is, we're just a church that's focused on adults. We can't really teach children anything. We can't really get anywhere. Why? What is it about the children Infants, not even children. What is it about infants praising Jesus? That's so powerful? Listen to this, second half. See, Jesus is quoting a passage of Scripture here. And that passage that he's quoting is Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Yes, it says pretty much the same thing. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Um, 
that's from the Hebrew, and then from the Hebrew it goes into the Greek, and then the Greek goes into English. So there's a little bit of transference here in the language, a little bit of... But the point is, yes, you're, you're, you've established praise. So if you're being praised, you're establishing your strength. So yes, same thing, the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've established strength. But listen to this. Why? Because of your adversaries. Because of God's adversaries. He's establishing and teaching the children to praise in order to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. That word in the Hebrew, cease, is Shabbat, Shabbat, which, which is Sabbath. You, would, you ever have a bad day? You have a bad week, seven days? For crying out loud, it's been seven days. Can the, can the enemy take one day off? Give him a Sabbath, right? Stop acting out for one day. Give me a break. What makes the enemy and the revengeful and the adversaries cease or Sabbath or stop? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes. So in other words, this is a powerful statement because what's being communicated in Psalm A2 is the very thing that stops God's enemies dead in their tracks, the thing that stops the enemy dead in their tracks this has been my experience. I've experienced power when I sing, when I experience the Holy Spirit in a powerful way through music, through praise. What stops the enemy dead in their tracks is not the praise of adults, not the praise of youth, but the praise of infants. So this is very, very powerful. The education, the training of children to sing, to praise, to worship God, stops God's enemies dead in their tracks. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that powerful? That maybe the first word Benji will speak is hallelujah. Sorry, it's not going to be daddy or mama. Or maybe the first word where's Elias mama? Maybe the first word that Elias will speak. We've got more babies on the way. Sue, right? Woven's just popping them out. We're growing church the, the old-fashioned way. Fine with me. As long as I can keep them for the next 30 years. You want to do your premarital counseling with Pastor Wayne? Um, if the first word our children speak is praise, it's very powerful. But there's more. Listen to this. Okay, but in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, who is the enemy? Who is, who, is, who is the enemy? That Hebrew word it shows up for enemy, enemy, enemy. Who is the enemy in Psalm chapter 8? Is it, is it, you know, is it, I don't know, that kid at school? Or is it just spiritual forces? What exactly is the enemy? In Psalm chapter 8, if you look at it, it's just, if you have your Bible, just read through it briefly. I'll, I'll read verse 1 and I'll read verse 3. And then you tell me who you think the enemy is. Listen to this. Verse 1 of Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, everything you've ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? 
So what is the author in Psalm 8 talking about? If you read the rest of Psalm 8, what is the author of Psalm 8 talking about? He's talking about creation. Creation. Heavens, moon, stars, earth, everything you've ordained. So this is a psalm about creation. Now the question, the next question is, what's the enemy of creation? What is the enemy of creation? Mr. Anthony, if you could pull up that picture of the latest scientific discovery that came out this week. It didn't load? Ah. How about the painting by Rembrandt? Didn't load either? Okay, so we're just going to have to do mental picture here. That's fine. Anybody know big news in science this week? Very big news? The smart people here are nodding their heads. Anyway, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, apparently they, they took the first photograph of a black hole. All right, all right. I'm smart too. <laughs> All right, they took the first photograph. All I do is listen to the news. That's it. Uh, they took the first photograph of a black hole. It was just crazy. Like, so we've had ideas that black holes exist, but we have this photograph. If you can find a way, you can pull that up. Um, so uh, the black hole, this first photograph of the black hole, it looks like the eye of Sauron, and it's just this amazing thing. Apparently, this black hole is the size of the solar system, the entire solar system. It's that big, and so, you know, I had this philosophical discussion with my son as we we're driving somewhere. You know, they took this picture of this black hole, and he's like, dude, that could be a pathway to another dimension. You know, and we were talking about all this stuff, and what little I know, physics, you know, black holes, they have something called an event horizon. At the edge of the black hole, if anything crosses into that threshold, it, it can't escape. It gets sucked in. And then when something gets lost in a black hole, it is, apparently, as I understand, ir irrevocably, it's, it's, you, it's, it's gone. It's obliterated. Now, I don't know physics. I don't know. Somebody can help me if you understand this. I wish Blake was here today. He likes this stuff. Um, if, something, if, if, something, if something dies, for example, and its matter breaks down, it, it releases gases, it becomes dust, but it's still matter. But in a black hole, if something crosses the event horizon, it's utter, it's complete disappearing. Not only do you cease to exist, there's no, nothing left. There's no trace of your existence. It's philosophically being changing into non-being. Being changing into non-being. It's the kind of thing that keeps you up at night rocking in the corner like, what does it mean to not exist? What's the enemy of creation? The enemy of creation is anti-creation. It's non-being. It's, it's the event horizon of the black hole. It's not just death. It's obliteration. It's like you never existed. You were not even a blank. You're, you're not even a, you know, you know that, that, that glimpse between mom and dad's eye. You, you, you never came out to be. You were never created. Why? Because you got sucked into a black hole. Sorry. So the event horizon and all the craziness, the enemy of creation from a scientific standpoint, black holes. But in the Hebrew worldview, they, they didn't know what black holes were. They had something else. In the Hebrew worldview, 
they, they, they didn't know the earth was round. It was still flat. If you were on ground, you were safe. Up in the heavens, certainly getting no airplanes. They were terrified because the heavens, but there was one other place they were terrified, and it was the ocean. It was the sea. So they didn't have black holes, but they had something back then, or at least they understood that the sea was a place of chaos. And if you've ever been on a ship and it's doing this and you turn green and you're so sick and you arrive on shore and you kiss the ground because the sea is chaotic. Or you look down there and there's something swimming and it's deep and it's dark. We don't know what's down there. Even scientists today, they say that they have not yet to, exp they have yet to know what's in the depths of, of the deep. So in the Hebrew worldview as well as the ancient surrounding cultures, when they thought of disorder, when they thought of chaos, when they thought of scary places, when they thought of the opposite of creation, when they thought of the enemy of creation, they thought of the sea. And in the ancient Canaanite myth, the goddess of the depths, of, I'm sorry, she had to be a female, but the goddess of the depths of the ocean, Tiamat, who ruled and she was the goddess of chaos and disorder and destruction. Track with me here. I'm going to drive this and make, bring this around. Now, the Jews worshipped only one god, Yahweh. But all the surrounding cultures feared the ocean. They feared the disorder, the goddess of chaos. They did not have any conception of black holes but they had the ocean, the depths of the sea. And they knew that the enemy of creation was disorder, chaos, non-being, non-existence, the sea. My question to you now is who has the power to silence the great sea monster, Tiamat, who has the power to silence great disorder? Who has the power to silence incredible chaos? Who has the power over black holes? Two people. Two. The first is Jesus in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, we have this very... Um, famous image, maybe if you could pull up that painting. We have this famous image of Jesus sleeping in the ship. And the ship is on choppy waters. Chaos. And as the ship is doing this, and they're saying, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to get sucked into the, into the sea. We're never going to be remembered. Nobody's going to know what happened to us. Blink of an eye from being to non-being, existence to non we're going to die and we're, gonna, we're never going to be seen again. There's nothing even left to be buried. We're going to be swallowed up by great chaos and disorder. This image has long been a metaphor for the church. Many people have painted this image. And you'll notice, this is by Rembrandt, that, you know... If I wanted to paint um, a picture of this ship that's on chaotic waters on a horizontal camp canvas, and there's a ship just kind of horizontal sitting there, but big waves, it would look pretty. It wouldn't look. It would look pretty stable. 
The church is okay. We're not that bad. No. The artists, some of the artists in conveying the, the anxiety that the church feels, they don't put that ship like this. They put the ship like this, like it's about to tip over. It's vertical in composition, or in this case, diagonal. This thing is about to tip over. Why? Because throughout the ages, there has been anxiety. Will the church survive? Will Woven survive? Will Kingdom City get through this? The waters are choppy. What will keep us afloat? Hoist the main sails, matey. We'll just work harder. No, there is nothing we can do. But there's somebody sleeping over there. Can you please, please, Jesus, wake up? Jesus wakes up, and what does he say? What does he say to the water? He says, hush, be still, baby words. Even in the Greek, hush, be still, like a child. He speaks with the words of children to the black hole, to great chaos, to Tiamat, the goddess of disorder and, and destruction. And he says, hush, be still. And what happens? The waters, it become, in the Greek it says, it became mega calm. Megale, megale, it became mega calm, it became completely serene. Disorder and chaos completely stopped with baby words. Disorder and chaos completely stopped with baby words. Who seizes or causes to seize the enemy of creation? Jesus. But there's a second, a second person or maybe a second group. That is the infants, the nursing babes, those who are learning to praise, those who are being taught even before they're taught. These are the ones who are silencing the great disorder, the great chaos of the world, the incredible chaos of the universe, the black holes, maybe even the chaos even here. The great craziness. Hush, be still. Don't you cry. The words of infants and the praise of infants being trained up to silence the disorder of creation. Friends, I want to drive this home with a call to pray. And yes, if you can come back up with a call to pray in particular, my heart is for us today to pray for our children because it's not us that's going to be creating order. It's not our praises that is going to make things work out in life or work out in the church. It's not us that's going to save the church. i got to remind myself of this all the time. Right? I have this codependent codependent relationship with the church. I got to rescue it. I got to rescue it. No. God's like, stop doing that. Wayne, that's not your job. That's Benji's job. It's Elias's job. They're the ones, and that's not pressure either, because one day they'll grow up. But focus on the little ones, because they're the ones who are going to save the church. They're the ones who are going to rescue the ministry, not me. Not you. 
They're the ones who bring order. Their praises are the ones that are reforming the church anew. 